0: Welcome to Truth Culture Life. My name is Royce Hood and we have a very special show today. I'm joined by a special guest Dr. Gilbert Lavoie. Did I say your last name right doctor? Yes, yes you did.
1: Thank you very Lavoie.
0: much. All right I, I would actually um, the for the audience listening they know that I'm terrible with pronouncing names so I'm gonna in post-production there'll be a little applause you'll hear for that. So that was awesome. I'm glad I was able to nail that one. Welcome to the program. Now you have a Super interesting background. I was sent your information by my friends over at uh, the Sophia Institute, Sophia Press, and uh, they sent me your info, and I was just really impressed. I mean, you're a medical doctor, but you're also an author, and you've written a book that Sophia has published called The Shroud of Jesus. And we're going to talk about that book a little bit, and I'm I'm very interested in it. And for our listeners, uh, they'll recognize the image on the cover. It's the Shroud of Turin. And so we'll get into that in just a minute. But before we do, I want to talk about your background a little bit. Tell us a little bit about who you are, and then how on earth you got involved with uh,
1: with the shroud. Well, I'm a I'm a physician. I'm an internist. I've also done work in occupational medicine and preventive medicine. Um, and uh, I've uh, had some you know very very exciting adventures in my life. I was in the smallpox eradication program. Um, way back when, and uh, when smallpox was still around in the world, and that was really great. I spent some time in Bangladesh uh, with that program. Uh, And, uh, you know, for a good part of my life, of course, I was in the practice of medicine, internal medicine, seeing patients. Uh, And then I guess back into uh, some public health uh, arena again, doing uh, some work in HIV, uh, some prevention. Uh, Well, I was concerned about women in Africa. So we did some work there. Uh, I wasn't in, wasn't in Africa, but we developed a, uh, a a very very nice video for women and uh, to help them uh, understand what the, the problems were with regard to HIV and how to basically avoid it from a uh, a very uh, by understanding uh, how it spread. But uh, so anyway, we uh, as far as getting into the shroud of Turin, that's sort of a. Another story, I was actually in pre-med uh, uh, at Boston College, and I, was, I, walked, I took a walk down into Boston, and I went into this bookstore, and there I saw a book called The Doctor of Calvary by Dr. Pierre Barbet. And he's a French surgeon who um, I uh, found to be um, uh, very interesting. And I looked at that book, and I was v- very, very delighted to uh, find out about the Shroud of Turin, because I had never heard about it before, and then I sort of forgot about it. And so, about seventeen years later, when I was now in the practice of medicine in Boston, uh, and I opened the Boston Globe, and there was a picture of the Shroud of Turin, and it was going to be shown in 1978. It was, it was. So I, I decided to go, and that's that's now that's where I'm at. Uh, I started there. However, I have to say that uh, when I did go, I was uh, very fortunate to have met with a group of people, uh, physicians, not, excuse me, yes, physicians plus uh, a group of people who had a scientist who were studying the the Shroud at that time. And uh, uh, over the years, we became very good friends and so forth. And uh, I continued to work on it. I basically started, though, as a skeptic because I found um, being uh, doing that kind of work, um, uh, I was, even though I went to Tobrin I uh, and came back and had that wonderful experience. Uh, I was somewhat skeptical, and uh, so I started looking at it, and I started looking at some of the blood marks. And there was one particular blood mark that fascinated me, and that was a blood mark off the. Uh, it was an off-image blood mark off the left elbow, and uh, there. Uh, when I did that work, I I really at that point I discovered that indeed there was a crucified man underneath this cloth that had been placed in this cloth, and that's what really got me started.
0: So uh, I'm I'm really curious about that. Uh, have you
1: been able to physically examine the
0: shroud yourself?
1: Uh, I, I I never had it in my hands, but I was I've been with it about three times. Wow, and okay and so what what would a what
0: would a doctor you know from a from a skeptical standpoint I mean if you're looking at something like this what are you looking for to try to, to determine okay is this is this fake is this real what what are what are the things you mentioned the elbow what are you looking for professionally to try to figure out what is it that you're actually looking at
1: okay well you're looking at the uh, the gross anatomy of the of the individual you know the the body in the sense that, and you're also looking at uh, the blood marks themselves. And you want to determine whether these blood marks are consistent with what, uh, what seems to be happening here. Now this, this it was an off image blood mark actually. I didn't know how it actually uh, got there. No one else knew how it got there. So I spent a, uh, a couple of years just trying to figure out a way that I could understand how it was there. One day, I actually—I was fortunate. I had a, a full-size uh, shroud that was uh, lent to me, and uh, 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 it was a large photo, full size. And I placed it over myself. And in placing it over myself, I realized that indeed uh, that I saw exactly where this cloth landed on my on my uh, on my arm, and then I realized exactly how it. It, it occurred. So basically it's really trying to be sure that what you're dealing with is real uh, and what looks like blood on the shroud, you know, is indeed blood and it and it has uh, all the proper trappings of, for example, understanding that this is a crucified man. Uh, I've been showing these uh, those these photos of the work that I've done on the a crucified man, Uh, and I can tell you that after I'm finished with a lecture, that where people can actually see the photographs and understand what I'm saying, it's a little hard to do it verbally, but they can see actually that indeed this was a crucified man. By the time I'm through, after all these many years, and I've been doing this for over 40 years, I've never had anybody ever ask me after the lecture's over, do you really think this, this is a crucified man? I've never had that question because it's so powerful. The evidence is the forensic evidence is absolutely enormous. It's not a it's, it's fascinating
0: looking at some of the images in the book. Um, I mean, you you feature a number of I mean, first of all, the, the Shroud of Jesus is available for purchase. I believe it's it's available now. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And people can find uh, a copy of this book at Sophiainstitute.com. We'll post a link on Facebook so people can check this out, but it's really neat. I I get sort of some perks of having a radio program and, and a podcast as I get, I get advanced copies sometimes. And and, and in this instance, I have a PDF. So hope I'm not distracting you doctor, but I'm looking at it as you're talking, looking at some of these just amazing, remarkable uh, illustrations and photos um, okay, so I'm looking at intri- in the introduction, figure 1.3, the back image. Can you tell, tell us our, – our listeners obviously can't see this, but what are we looking at? And then I'm going to scroll down to some of the dust particles that you talk about as well in a moment.
1: Well, what we want to uh, – um, I think the best thing and the best way to start is to really talk uh, – for those people who don't know what the shroud is, that it's a, a cloth that's 14 feet long, about 3.5 feet wide – and on that cloth is the very faint image of the front and back of a naked man. Now there's are there are parallel marks uh, that uh, along the entire cloth uh, that they're, they're sort of patches and brown lines and marks those uh, occurred during a fire in fifteen thirty two and but they're not. Uh, fortunately, the, the cloth wasn't destroyed. The only thing that was destroyed with regard to the image are the upper arms; otherwise, the the, the image is intact. Um, so, what what's on this uh, what's on this image are blood marks as well, and all of these blood marks are absolutely consistent with uh, what we read about in the Gospel of John. Uh, whatever John really talks about with regard to the uh, passion of Jesus, actually we find all of those blood marks on the shroud. And there's no blood marks on the shroud that, are, that aren't talked about by John. So from a, uh, a forensic legal perspective, I mean, one would have to say that this man, uh, that John is, is definitely a witness and uh, a very good witness to the events that took place because we find all those uh, events uh, correlated uh and seen on the Shroud of, of Turin.
0: I, I want to talk a little bit, doctor, if you can, just to to, to look at some of the, the images. And again, for our listeners that are listening on, on the radio, they can't see this, but be sure to check out the book, folks, uh, Shroud of Jesus at sophiainstitute.com. And the illustrations are some of the most interesting that I've ever seen. There's been a lot of things published over the years about the Shroud of Turin. And I love some of the the history and some of the specifics that you get into and also in the introduction figure 1.4 is a pollen grain. Explain to us the significance of, of what this, this is that we're looking at.
1: Uh, Well, when I was in Turin in 1978, I have the uh, basically the privilege and honor to meet Dr. Max Fry. Now, Dr. Max Fry was a, uh, a biologist detective uh, who used the, microscope and so forth to do work. And uh, he was brought in and he discovered that there were pollen spores on the cloth. Uh, And this photograph you're talking about here is one of those pollen spores that actually comes from the cloth. And it is uh, from uh, the Mediterranean in a uh, a very of a place which where uh, there's not much water. uh, It's part of the route that uh, Dr. Max Fry discovered uh, in other... Let me, let me take a step back. Uh, when I spoke with him, uh, the, the pollen spores uh, that we he found on there were naturally from uh, France and, and Italy and so forth, from the places we know it's been when it's been in the uh, in, in, in the West. However, uh, it also had been in the East. Uh, and he discovered this, and he took about five years to he looked at the pollens that he had. He had to travel different areas of the, of the country, uh, down in uh, Asia, down into uh, Palestine, Jerusalem. And he then discovered some of the pollen spores that he found on the cloth. So basically what he's done, he created an itinerary for this cloth, uh, telling us where it's been by the study of pollen spores. So we, found, we know that this particular cloth had been in the Jerusalem area. Where Jesus of course lived so this is a very is a very important study. Wow
0: no that's fascinating it, it's its I love I love how we're able to extrapolate certain information from little tiny pieces of evidence that <laughs> that you know to a watchful eye or to a you know to looking closely and somebody with the training that you've had to really be able to recognize what some people might brush off as um, you know a, a sort of a nothing burger as actually quite important when you're trying to piece together the mystery that surrounds this. Um, so you, you mentioned earlier that you came into this, you know, you discovered the shroud sort of as a skeptic and right. how,
1: I, I you didn't know. need, yeah, I, uh, I, I had my faith and I, you know, I didn't really need anything for, to enhance my faith. Uh, at least I thought, uh, and, uh, I, uh, so I looked at the cloth I, I didn't want to do anything that would perpetrate a fraud. So I was very skeptical uh, yeah. right through always, always a skeptic. <laughs> and by being a skeptic, I believe I, be, I, I discovered a lot of things because of that.
0: Wow. No, it's fascinating. Doctor, if you could, the, could you describe for us a moment for, for, again, for the folks, it's difficult for the folks that are just you know hearing this on the radio, but I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with the shroud of Turin Um what is the hidden image?
1: Well, that of course, took place in that, that event, uh, uh, discovering the hidden image was in uh, 1898 when Secunda Pia, uh, 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 an amateur photographer and a lawyer, uh, took the first picture of the Shroud of Turin. And uh, he, of course, uh, we didn't have the cameras we have today, he had a very large big camera, big box camera with, uh, of course, the negative plate. So when he went into, uh, he took a picture of the Shroud, when he went into his dark room and he looked at that negative plate, he was almost shocked and, and believed he was looking at the face of Jesus because on the negative plate was this beautiful uh, f- a face of, uh, of a man uh, that wasn't quite as evident on the original plot. And he thought about it, all, and he realized that what was on the original shroud cloth is actually a negative. And uh, when he took the, his, when he looked at his negative, that showed the positive. So the uh, the amazing thing is we have a positive uh, image with with using a negative camera, negative on a negative plate. Of course, people are with uh, the digital era. We don't see that as much, but of course, years ago that we always had a positive and negative. Uh, and the amazing thing about that also is that on the cloth, the original cloth, the blood marks are actually positive. And, but when you look at them in the negative, they're, they're negative. Uh, so, so so we can really see that uh, this uh, is truly a negative of, of the positive image. Looking at the photographs is the way. What I have in the book, I've got about 80 photographs in the book, and what I talk about I show I've gotten to the point where I realize that the Shroud of Turin is really for everyone. Uh, And, uh, and I've reached the point where I, you know, believe that indeed this is a work of God and God created this so that not only physicians or uh, scientists of, you know, physicists and chemists can understand this, but that everyone can understand it. So what I deal with in the entire book are things that you visualize that you can see, and I don't, um, uh, and and so when people go to this book, uh, The Shroud of Jesus, they can look at the photographs, listen to what I have to say, and decide for themselves, because they have the photographs right there where they can make their own decision of what they think the shroud is. Yeah, that's wonderful.
0: Let's do this. We're going to go to our first commercial break. We'll be right back in just a second. You're listening to Truth Culture Life on Catholic Spirit Radio, and stick with us. We'll be right back. There's a new app, so Catholic Spirit Radio listeners with new phones,
2: tablets, and other listening devices can also listen to our programs and podcasts. Go to your Google Play or Apple App Store to find the app, Catholic Spirit Talk Radio. It's free. New app, same quality programs.
3: Help seniors remain independent. Faith in Action is a nonprofit
2: providing transportation for people over 60 to medical appointments and grocery stores. Become a Faith in Action driver in the extended Bloomington Normal Area, 309-827-7780. Hey, this is Father Mitch Pacwa, host of Open Line Wednesday. For me, Catholic Radio is a chance to speak and hear our Catholic doctrine, consider it, think about it, apply it to everyday life, and be blatantly in the public with it. And I am so thankful to you for being an important part of the Lord's plan. By participating and listening, invite others to listen and hear Open Line
4: Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks, others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to catholicspiritradio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866 628 Cars.
3: Am I pregnant? This is often the first question a woman needs answered when she comes to the Pregnancy Resource Center. What now is the second question. Living Alternatives Pregnancy Resource Center is committed to providing excellent care, compassionate support, and honest information to those facing pregnancy decisions through authentic relationships that display grace, honor life, and foster community. Living Alternatives needs your help to encourage and support women in bloomington normal. Make your donation or find out more ways to get involved at PregnancyResourceCenter.org. Hi, this is Kathy and Anne from Catholic Spirit Radio. We are looking for folks who would love to volunteer with us during our fundraisers and various other station events and tasks throughout the year.
2: We really need volunteers in the DeKalb, Sycamore, Morris, Joliet, and Lincoln areas as well as Bloomington Normal.
3: If you have a few extra hours or more a month, put them to use
2: for the Lord. We would love to add your name to our Catholic Spirit Radio volunteer list contact us at office at catholicspiritradio.org.
0: Have you ever been low? Don't recognize yourself. Welcome back to Truth, Culture, Life on Catholic Spirit Radio. I am Royce Hood, joined by a very special guest, Dr. Gilbert uh, Gilbert Lavoie, with the new book, The Shroud of Jesus. And we were just talking about some of the interesting um, the remarkable really photographs that have been taken over the years and some of the evidence regarding the shroud and uh the uh, doctor has uh, published a book that again, you can check out at sophiainstitute.com I want to switch gears for a moment and talk a little bit about the scourging. um and for anybody that says uh, the rosary regularly they're they're familiar with the the scourging at the pillar, right? and and most Catholics should know full well what that is. Why is that important? with respect to the, to the shroud, doctor?
1: Well, the, uh, with res- when we look at the shroud, as I mentioned earlier, that you actually see uh, the blood marks and, uh, on, the, on the shroud that are, and are all consistent with what we read about in the Gospel of John. We know that Jesus was scourged, and when we look at the shroud, we see that a man has been scourged. He has been terribly scourged, his whole back all the way down, uh, his backside, all the way down his legs, uh, and even some scourge marks were also noted at the front of his body. And uh, uh, in fact, it, there's it's, a, it's such a bad beating that I believe that uh, he would have died probably from this beating alone. Uh, we know that he was uh, from from the, the uh, different discussions by the uh, the uh, those who. Uh, different gospel writers that Jesus had uh, was falling and had difficulty getting to the cross, to the, uh, to, to the place where he's to be crucified and he needed some help along the way. Uh, and uh, that makes a lot of sense because once you have such a bad beating, uh, what happens is like a burn, all the um, fluids that are in your large vessels, uh, they tend to go out to the skin and one uh, and so the blood. So what happens is that when the fluid leaves the vessels, the blood pressure drops. The person's weakened, and the person goes into shock. Uh, so that's this is what was really basically happening to Jesus, from the point of view of visually seeing what we have here. It's quite remarkable when you look at these. Uh, Bar- actually, Barbet did this work, and I want to give him full credit. And I was uh, fascinated by what he had done. This is the surgeon. That uh, the book that I previously read many years ago, a doctor at Calvary's, but Barbet uh, noted these uh, blood, these scourge marks. Uh, he noted that they were very similar to what would look like a first-century Roman flagrum. Uh, that he uh, noted that uh, they were uh, uh, the the position of which they were in. If uh, from the point of view of the back, you see that the scourge marks are all slanted upward, Uh, you go down to the buttock area, and you see that they're actually uh, horizontal, and then you go down to the leg, and you see that they're uh, then uh, slanted downward. So in that case, uh, what you're doing is you have a person who is is whipping an individual, and he raises his arm to, to hit him on the upper back, and then he brings his arm down to hit him on the on the, the buttock area, which would be uh, a, a ver- a, uh, horizontal, and then further down, uh, hitting him on the leg, it would be slanted again. So what you have here is the very real scourge marks. It's a real event that took place, and I have to tell you that, that Jesus suffered greatly with, under this uh, tremendous beating.
0: Was there any moment... Uh, doctor in your investigation of the photographs of the of the, the shroud was there was there ever an aha moment a moment where you came to the realization you know i it, sometimes lawyers talk about standards of proof okay you know beyond a reasonable doubt or uh, whatever the standard might be in this case but was there a moment that you can think about that you were just convinced
1: well um it, it, well, there's a, there are several moments, and some of them are hot, bigger, bigger moments than others. And one of the one of the first moments that brought me to uh, real, first of all, realize it was this crucified man was the, what I mentioned to you was the blood off the the uh, blood mark off the left elbow. When I studied that, it uh, convinced me with beyond any doubt that there were, had been a crucified man in this cloth. That that blood mark not only shows that there was, uh, the reason why we see that is we can see that he was, his arm was in the crucified position, number one. Number two, we see that the blood marks are simply a contact process, uh, cloth touching moist blood clots that were uh, on the body uh, when the body was wrapped. Uh, th- next, we see that the, uh, <clears throat> the image is not a contact process because in the area uh, that we, the cloth actually draped around the side of the body. So it it draped around the back of the upper arm. We don't see that on the cloth, but we know that the cloth touched that area because it's blood that's there. However, there's no image there. Uh, Therefore the, the image is not a contact process. People have said, well, it's a contact process. He's got uh, organic matter on his body and so forth. And, uh, it just came onto the cloth, but that's not the case because we know the cloth actually touched the back of the arm and there's no, there's no image. So it's not a contact process. And finally, and, and another thing is that we know that it is, uh, uh, not, uh, that there was a three dimensional man under the cloth, uh, because we have the other blood marks sort of give you height and width, but this blood mark goes around the side of the body and it gives you the third dimension depth. So that's mm-hmm. what you have here, depth. Uh, and then finally we can actually make the statement that of course, uh, with regard to what kind of event is this, is this made by human hands? Is this a natural event? Is this a supernatural event from the point of view of being a natural event for 120 years, uh, People have been really studying the shroud since its discovery of the hidden image in the shroud. And they, uh, no natural event has ever been discovered ca- causing this event. This, uh, this, un- this image is absolutely unique in the world. And, uh, but in this particular area where we know that the cloth was touching the side of the body and also the front of the body, the front of the arm as well as the side of the arm, the fact that there's no image there on the side of the arm uh, tells you that it's very likely not a natural event because natural events are ubiquitous. If cloth is around a body, it should be, which we know it was, then it should definitely uh, the event of the front of the body or the side of the body should basically be same in a natural event, but it's not. It, we don't, we don't have image. If we did have image, uh, in that area, we would have a distorted image.
0: Can I, can I ask you, Doctor, again, just to give our, our listeners? You mentioned this at the at the top of the program. What are the dimensions of the shroud? You mentioned it once, but could you just
1: tell us again? Sure. the The, the cloth itself is fourteen feet long, three and a half feet wide.
0: So the significance of that is is the body would have been wrapped in right. almost like a, a a birthday present or something, right? They would have wrapped the body and then carried Jesus to the tomb.
1: Yeah, let's put it this way. It was the body was, first of all, the blood marks are consistent with a man who's crucified in the vertical position. He was then taken down. He was, his, his, he was placed on the cloth uh, on his back, supine. And then the other end of the cloth was draped over him, and it was sufficiently tucked and wrapped, or whatever, to, to, to cause the blood mark to see the blood marks that we see on the, on the body.
0: And let me ask you let me ask you this to you mentioned several times you know a natural event versus a, a not a natural event
1: which I suppose would be uh
0: supernatural I would guess um you know if 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 you take a Polaroid and some of the original photographs uh, some of the first photographs right I mean they had a really bright light and they they flashed the light at the same time that the image right so basically it's just a The darkness is being lit up, and you've got the outline of the image, right? I mean, the scientific way that a photograph works, you can probably explain that better than I can. There was no photo cameras back in the time of Jesus, obviously, right? I mean, that's a simple, silly thing to say. What I mean, we're looking at a photograph, basically. I mean, to me, it looks like a photograph.
1: Yeah, you're looking at a negative of a photograph, right? Right.
0: So, So, in other words, what could have caused the image to, to be, you know, imprinted on this cloth?
1: Well, that's, that's the big question. And people have been trying to understand that there are a lot of hypotheses that are out there. I, I, I don't get into the hypotheses, but I, I certainly uh, have references for people to go and look at these hypotheses. We, because, uh, and so they, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways of, People think that this has happened, however, no one knows how this has happened. No one has been able to reproduce the shroud uh, at the uh, microscopic level. And looking at the, and that's one other thing that's very important for people to understand that uh, the blood marks actually soak through into the into the fabric. the The image is at the very topmost of the fabric. Just uh, you take a it's the, the cloth. It, it's a linen cloth. Uh, made it from, the flax, from the flax plant. And the, when you make a, the threads, you use uh, they they twist little tiny fibers. And it is the it is the fibers uh, which are less, which are way less than the diameter of the hairs on your head uh, that um, actually. Uh, are the reason for why we see the shroud. So it's only the the, furry, the topmost fibers, one maybe two fibers deep, and there's no acid, there's no uh, paint or stain or anything. What causes the color is the deep called uh, 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 dehydrative oxidation, and basically what that is 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 a degradation of the cellulose itself. Which is which is the uh, the fiber, and that is uh, acid, heat, or light can cause that. Uh, and uh, but it's basically if you're at your grandmother's and she has a pot and on a, a linen cloth in a, in a part in part of the house and it's been there a long time, you take that pot off, you see a round circle, it's nice and white, and the rest of it is yellow because of light and sunlight and so forth. So it's just a degradation of of, this, of the linen. So that's that's how we see it. That's why we see the image. It's fascinating no, and it's uh, it's not made by human hands.
0: Is there any um, has there ever been any sort of test to try to determine? I mean obviously you've got flashes on cameras, but in terms of natural light, is there a particular brightness, or something along those lines that could potentially, I mean, over time, as you mentioned, the linen with the pot would create the circle. But I mean, this doesn't appear to be something that happened uh, over a long period of time, right? If the body it sat there for a long period of time, it would decompose, right? So it, it would it would change. So this right. happened pretty instantaneous is what it looks like to me. It looks like somebody took a picture. Is there some right. measurement in it terms no, of- that's,
1: that's, the, that's the impression you get. Some people will- hypothesize well you know it will it it took time for this to happen they they didn't see it right away and so forth but we don't know that these are all uh, assumptions that people are making we don't really
0: know has there been any determination uh from the shroud in terms of uh can our science detect like the blood type for example uh on the cloth
1: well a A b blood type Uh, is that
0: based on measurements from the shroud itself
1: that's from blood that people have looked at on the shroud, right?
0: Wow, uh, are you familiar at all with some of the Eucharistic um, uh, miracles
1: that have occurred? Yeah, that, that's also AB blood, yes. And not, uh, yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't get into any of that at all. Uh, you know, again, what I try to deal with is what people can see. Uh, How, can I ask
0: you this? though? from a medical perspective, is I mean. To explain to us AB a, blood. Is that, is that relatively common? Is that uncommon? Is that, is there any way to look at that based it's on sort of, uh,
1: it's, it's a little less common than, than other types. And, uh, but uh, I have, I'm not really, uh, I don't have a real expertise on, on the distribution of that around the world, but uh, uh, it is less common. I just say that. Interesting. All right. And, and
0: I, and I wonder too, from, is it possible doctor to look at blood and, and, you know, this long after it's been preserved, and to, to determine anything geographically about the person's origins or anything like that?
1: Uh, I think that uh, I th- some people, you're talking about DNA and whatever. Right, so people, right. So people have tried uh, unofficially, uh, no, there's nothing been done that's official, but someone said that they've done something unofficial and they can tell you that it's a man, but they don't go any further than that because that blood is you know it's been it's not you know it's not what you it's, it's not like having uh taking it from somebody's arm you're, you've got something that's been there for a long time so it's sure yeah you know. let's
0: let's do this if you're doing okay on time i'd love to have you come back on the other side of this break and talk a little bit about the history of the discovery of the shroud and uh sort of where we go from here so stick with us we'll be right back on truth culture life and we'll be we'll be right back thank you for listening have you ever been low? Don't recognize yourself. There's a new app, so Catholic Spirit Radio listeners with new phones, tablets, and other listening devices can also listen to our programs and podcasts. Go to your Google Play or Apple
2: App Store to find the app Catholic Spirit Talk Radio. It's free. New app, same quality programs.
3: Help seniors remain independent. Faith in Action is a nonprofit providing transportation for people over 60 to medical appointments and grocery stores. Become a Faith in Action driver in the extended Bloomington Normal area, 309 827
2: 7780. Hey, this is Father Mitch Paqua, host of Open Line Wednesday. For me, Catholic radio is a chance to speak and hear our Catholic doctrine, consider it, think about it, apply it to everyday life, and be blatantly in the public with it. And I am so thankful to you for being an important part of the Lord's plan. By participating and listening, invite others to listen and hear open line.
4: Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks. Others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to catholicspiritradio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866-628-CARS.
3: Am I pregnant? This is often the first question a woman needs answered when she comes to the Pregnancy Resource Center. What now is the second question. Living Alternative's Pregnancy Resource Center is committed to providing excellent care, compassionate support, and honest information to those facing pregnancy decisions through authentic relationships that display grace, honor life, and foster community. Living Alternatives needs your help to encourage and support women in blooming to normal. Make your donation or find out more ways to get involved at PregnancyResourceCenter.org. Hi, this is Kathy and Anne from Catholic Spirit Radio. We are looking for folks who would love to volunteer with us during our fundraisers and various other station events and tasks throughout the year. We really
2: need volunteers in the DeKalb, Sycamore, Morris, Joliet, and Lincoln areas, as well as Bloomington Normal.
3: If you have a few extra hours or more a month,
2: put them to use for the Lord. We would love to add your name to our Catholic Spirit Radio volunteer list, Contact us at office at catholicspiritradio.org.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Truth, Culture, Life on Catholic Spirit Radio. We are back with our third and final segment with uh, Dr. Lavoie, the author of Shroud of Jesus. Now, this book is different in many, many ways from other, other publications and other studies on the Shroud. And I'm going to let the doctor explain that a little bit. And, and maybe he can talk a little bit about the, the history of the Shroud as well.
1: Well, it's great to be with you. And I uh, what what it is is that the Shroud of Turin actually came into the west around in the 1350s into Leary, France, and then moved from there to Chamonix and then finally in Turin, where it's now. Uh, however, it did have a pre-1350 uh, existence, and that was in the east. And we have, you know, some information uh, information. That bring you back into the into the East, into Constantinople, and uh, into Odessa, etc. Uh, but it's sparse. Uh, the important thing that we do know is that uh, we have those pollen spores that tell us where the cloth had been, and then we have some uh, dating techniques that have superseded the carbon dating. The carbon dating is of nineteen eighty eight, which said it was a fourteenth century artifact. Is uh, we, It has been discovered, uh, uh, a paper came out in uh, 2019 that uh, the data and the statistics was not homogeneous, and therefore that, that carbon dating has been tossed out. Uh, we don't really have a date from that particular 1988 study. What we have is other, other studies, other, there's four other methods that they've used to date it, and we know the cloth is at least 2,000 years old. And there's, and there's archaeological evidence as well. But uh, what I'd like to do is, uh, while we have just this, last, we're in the last segment, I'd like to bring you uh, to some other areas of my book that I think would be interesting to, your, to, your, to the public. And uh, anyway, well, uh, when I mentioned to you uh, that I was a skeptic, uh, I um, remained a skeptic in, in certain ways. I, was, I had done a lot of work understanding the blood marks in the shroud knew there was a crucified man on this cloth. I was fascinated with the superficial image that was there uh, that no one could ever make or had made. Or could, uh, but uh, I, people were saying, well, this is the moment of the resurrection. But I found that there was nothing on here that could convince me that this was the moment of the resurrection. Until one day, I was doing some work on the, the blood on the face, and uh, I discovered uh, that uh, there. Were, I, I discovered several things, but one of uh, some of the most important things was that I realized that uh, the man, the hair on the man of the shroud, uh, falls down uh, down to his shoulders and down his back. Uh, And I discovered what seemed to be shadows on his face that were consistent with a man who was upright. And this just when I realized that I was so um, awed by this, I literally backed out of the room where the photograph was just out of respect and thinking in terms that this indeed was the moment of the resurrection. In other words, we have... Uh, we had the blood marks that consisted with, with a man who was crucified and laid out, but among those blood marks was this image of a man who was not laid out, but have, but was actually lifted up as if lifted up in midair, and that was really uh, a phenomenal thing. At least my wow. I would say my epiphany with regard to the shroud, uh, think. And so um, <clears throat> I continued to pursue. This study, and uh, as I mentioned, we had these shadows that looked like he was in the upright position. In other words, if you're lying down, you the shadows on your face are entirely different uh, from with light than when you're in the upright position. Uh, And also, the hair of a person with long hair, the, the the gravity causes the hair, of course. To fall in the to fall in a in a normal up with a normal upright person, and if you have that person lie down, the hair falls in another direction. Um, also, if you followed me into an autopsy room, uh, you would find that when if you turn the body over of a, of somebody who's in the autopsy room, you would find the back would be all flat. A lot of it would be flattened out, as well as the buttocks and legs. And, uh, and, that, and that's true of a human body. Of course, if you put them on uh, a table and so forth, uh, the, the, the soft parts of the body flatten out. Uh, so what we, when you look at the shroud, uh, the Lord created the front of it, and most uh, sculptures in the whole world are uh, done uh, just showing his front and showing him lying down. However, if you really study the back of it, you realize that the form and the hair are consistent, not with a man lying down, but with a man who is upright because, uh, he, he doesn't have flat areas on his back. He just has, um, uh, the form of someone who is upright. Uh, and you can see all these pictures in the book. Uh, they're very, they're very exacting and people can make up their own mind. However, that's what we have. We have a man who is, uh, Upright, but not standing, uh, because his legs are actually crossed, and it uh, at the feet. So uh, I didn't I didn't know what to do with that. I was excited about the whole thing, but I thought, if he's resurrected, why isn't he standing? Why is he lifted up as if he's in midair? And uh, so I I didn't know what to do with that information, and uh, so I started to think about what I should do, and I decided I would go and uh, read the Gospels, and I read the Mark, Luke, and Matthew, and I found nothing about a man who was lifted up as if in uh, midair, and then I read the Gospel of John, and on chapter 12, verse 32, I read uh, the following, Jesus actually making the statement, and he said, and I, when I am lifted up above the earth, will draw all people to myself. Almost an exact description of what I was looking at on the shroud. Wow. That's uh that's amazing. So that's the uh the sign John
0: ingeniously concealed. Uh uh I mean that, that's that's quite remarkable. Um that other people haven't uncovered that. I mean, I as you're speaking about it, I mean, as you're speaking about it, it appeared that you know he was lifted up. The imagery that comes to my mind is this, you know, this body. Laying down flat, right, and then all of a sudden he's lifting up, and his arms are sort of behind him, and and boom, all of a sudden he's you know gets lifted up into heaven, I suppose. I mean, it's just it's just so cool. the 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 imagination can run wild
1: with that narrative, right? You have to be a little careful with that, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. but I, no, I appreciate what you're saying. Absolutely. Uh, so I uh, actually, the very next sentence after uh, Jesus says that, he said, "Well, he was talking about his." Um, uh, his crucifixion. However, I went on to, uh, went to some commentaries and went to, uh, Raymond Brown, a famous, uh, uh gentleman who, uh, did wonderful commentaries in the gospel. Of John, I was a priest. And, uh, I found that, uh, at the beginning of, of his introduction of one of his books, he basically states, uh, that, um, uh, at, at the end, uh, the culminating moment of his career is uh, Jesus's career is when he is lifted up toward heaven in death and resurrection to draw men to himself. Mm. And, uh, and I came to realize through my studies that when Jesus talks about being lifted up and he does this three times in the gospel of John, he he's really referring to uh, lifted up in crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension back to the Father. And that's the the true meaning of what that means, lifted up. And and the people that are interested in the book, they can see all the reasons and the the full understanding of of all of that as they read the book, plus the pictures and so forth that we mentioned. So what we have here is a phenomenal event uh, and lifted up indeed uh, was a sign, and I, the big thing about the sign, and that's the exciting part, one of the exciting parts about the book, the first 10 chapters is on forensics and so forth, but the last six chapters are on the Gospel of John, and those are really wonderful because they're remarkable, in fact, because it really connects John's Gospel, absolutely without any doubt, with the Shroud of Turin, uh, and that he actually saw this. And you say, well, why didn't he speak about it? Why doesn't he say something about the image? And I came to learn uh, that uh, from study of, uh, I went to work, I I studied, went back into, let's say, Jewish history and trying to understand uh, burial customs and so forth and discovered that uh, if you had any image of, of hand or foot or face or whatever of a, of a man uh, from the, in the Jewish world, then and even now, for Orthodox uh, Jews, that uh, they would be considered uh, items of idolatry and would be destroyed. And John would have known that, and uh, so he would have had the only way, uh, he, he had no option. He could never mention the image because he, could, he knew if he did that the cloth would be destroyed. So he had to create a way of telling us that. And the reason why I really came to discover that is that I, first of all, I started with the upright man. I brought the information of the upright man into the Gospel of John, looking for answers and uh, and so forth. And it was by doing that. Also, I spent, actually, I went back to school, and I took two years of graduate courses in biblical studies. And then I studied the Gospel of John intently, for about 10 years and came to understand the, the connection between the gospel of John and the shroud. So it's a very, it's very exciting from that perspective. Is um,
0: there, is there any way to know? I mean, obviously it's probably speculation. I mean, we don't know for sure. Just how were the apostles or the disciples, I mean, how are they able to conceal the shroud for so long? I mean, do you have any guess on that?
1: Well, let me just put it this way: uh, John concealed it, and when I say ingeniously concealed it in his gospel, however, he left the clues there, which people can read about as they go through the gospel, uh, go through the book, the shroud of Jesus. Uh, he did that, and he he. If he hadn't done that, we wouldn't know uh, that the connection. And if he hadn't, you know, if he had talked about the image, we would have never had the shroud today. So they were very careful in what they did. It was probably their most precious item. And they, they took every means of, well, we don't know. So Everything is speculative on how they did it. We don't know how they did it, but they did do it. And uh, it actually was brought out of the country, and we find it next in Edessa, which is uh, part of Turkey, and it's out of, out of out of the area that they lived. And so... Uh, bringing it to another area was probably that that's what they did. So wow. in order to protect it. Yeah, no, just
0: fascinating the whole history of it. And it's, it's kind of fun to speculate sometimes, but obviously the truth of the matter is sometimes way more important to focus on. And the fact, the fact is there's something remarkable here. And you look at the, you know, and obviously you've, you've focused very much on this particular work, Throughout the history of the church, there have been numerous mysteries and miracles and things that you know science can't explain, and so the church will oftentimes say, "Well, this is worthy of belief." Right? What, what, has the church made any sort of declaration with respect to the shroud?
1: No, no, it hasn't. But there are certainly uh, popes that uh, you know really believe that this is a shroud of Jesus. But uh, they don't. There wasn't. And there's no been no official declaration by the church no and, and uh, one way or the other so that's
0: that's uh, uh both good good and, and and i guess sort of doesn't really say much of anything except the fact that you can sort of know them by their fruits um would be my guess it's interesting you know some apparitions for example have been described as worthy of b- belief and others are just they the church is silent on them so it's interesting to sort of discern um discern that let me ask you this you know what, what could god be telling us with something like this? I mean,
1: and, and you think oh, about, yeah. School, yeah. This is wonderful. God, God does a lot with this and, uh, we're going to probably run out of time, but I'm not going to be able to get into all of that, but God is telling us a lot with this cloth. First of all, uh, we talk, we, I didn't get into the sign exactly what it was, but I'll just mention that hopefully we have a minute or two to we've be. Got, able-
0: we've got time. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: And, you know, uh, the, the thing is, is the, the big question is, um, what it is, is that what we call, uh, when we look in the, at, at the life of Jesus, uh, we call uh, uh, what he did, uh, these wonderful signs that he did, miracles. Uh, John calls them signs. Jesus calls them works. And he has a very good reason for doing the works. The works are, are from his father and that these works are done, and Jesus says it several times in the Gospel of John, they're done to show everyone that he comes from the Father, and also to show that he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. He's basically the temple of God. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he, he does this and says this, if you don't believe my words, believe me because of the works that I do. And he did, you know, the changing of water to wine, the raising of Lazarus, and so forth. There are seven signs in the Gospel of John. But there's one sign that's not been discussed by John, and that's what I mean. He kept it silent, but he put it in there. And so we go into, let's go to Chapter 2 of the Gospel of John, and recall that, in other words, is is there a place where Jesus is actually talking about an upright man, okay, a man who's lifted up like this? And so we go to the chap. we go to uh, chapter two, we find that Jesus is in the temple. He's not very happy with the, the, ch- the money changers and the business that's going on there with the animals. And he says, stop making my father's house uh, a marketplace. Now, all of us, it, it was through my entire life. I said, well, he's, he's turning over the money changers. And that's why. He's in trouble, whatever. And so the Jews ask him, the Jews in authority that are there, say, what sign can you show us to, to you know, basically allow you to do this or whatever? Uh, and I also thought it had to do with the what he was doing, chasing the people out. But no, it had much more to do with the fact that he said, uh, uh, my father's house was. Uh, he at the that's the very first time I realized, the very first time, that Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God. By calling it his Father's house, he's claiming to be the Son of God. And that was the big thing that they were really asking him for a sign for. Because we find in chapter 5, when he does that again and calls, calls, his, calls God his Father, that, you know, that's blasphemy and they want to kill him for it. So that was a big thing that was being said there. Not so much the money changers being turned over, whatever. But it was really the fact that he said, my father's house, calling himself the son of God. So they asked him for a sign. And Jesus, re- Jesus responded, and he said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. <laughs> so, it? There you go. so John is saying, talking about his body. John makes it very clear that Jesus is, it is his body and the temple of his body. And so that's what we have. Jesus is predicting that he will raise it up. That will, there's something that they will be able to see. And uh, uh, that's what you see in the shroud. Jesus's body raised, his destroyed body raised up. That's what you see. Exactly what you see. Wow. Uh, And that, also, what that means, what that is telling, he's predicting an event that tells them why he can call himself the Son of God. Okay? That's what he's doing. He's giving them an answer. A, what they're asking him, show us something that, where you can, you have the right to say my father's house, basically. And he's saying, this is the sign that will show you that. And that, so that sign tells us and everyone in the world that he is the son of God. It's a visual. He predicts it. And we now have it 2000 years later. It's there for everyone to see. Jesus is the son of God. It's a visual, it's a visual message that God is giving to the world. That's wonderful. Uh, It's so absolutely a fascinating subject
0: and just so cool. The richness of our faith, the, the sort of the treasures and just, and the, the signs, the works, they're everywhere. If people just pay attention a little bit, God has <laughs> given us all these clues that point us in the right direction. So hopefully with work, work like what you've just done with the Shroud of Jesus, your your book, uh, people can take a look at that and, and really let it spark something, you know, wherever their doubts may be. Absolutely wonderful. We really appreciate your time. Uh, doctor. And folks, you're listening to Truth Culture Life on Catholic Spirit Radio. I just want to encourage every single one of our listeners to um, to go to sophiainstitute.com and get a copy of this book. It would, It's about to be Christmas season, so it'd be a great Christmas present uh, for your loved ones. I'm definitely going to pick up a couple of copies, although I, I, again, I'm cheating. I've got the PDF right here, but there's nothing quite like holding a book in your hand and being able to flip through the pages and if you're like me, doctor, I like to annotate pages when I'm reading things and I circle things and, and underline things and so forth. So uh, we, we just want to thank you for your
1: time here today. I'll give you the last word, and we appreciate you being here. Well, I want to thank you very much for having me, and uh, God bless you for the work that you're doing, and God bless all your listeners for, uh, for their interest and in, in what they do in their lives.
0: Have you ever been low? Don't recognize
1: yourself.